Part two of an old fashioned Thanksgiving by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Part two. When they woke like early birds, it still snowed, but up the little bassets jumped, broke the ice in their pitchers, and went down with cheeks glowing like winter apples, after a brisk scrub and scramble into their clothes. F was off to the barn, until he soon had a great kettle of mush ready, which, with milk from the cows, made a wholesome breakfast for the seven hearty children. "'Now, about dinner,' said the young housekeeper, as the pewter spoons stopped clattering, and the earthen bowls stood empty. "'Ma said have what we liked, but she didn't expect us to have a real Thanksgiving dinner, because she won't be here to cook it, and we don't know how,' began Prue doubtfully. "'I can roast a turkey and make a pudding as well as anybody, I guess.' The pies are all ready, and if we can't boil vegetables and so on, we don't deserve any dinner, cried Tilly, burning to distinguish herself, and bound to enjoy to the utmost her brief authority. Yes, 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 cried all the boys. Let's have a dinner anyway. Ma won't care, and the good victuals will spoil if they ain't eaten right up. Pa's coming tonight, so we won't have dinner till late. That will be real genteel and give us plenty of time, added Tilly, suddenly realizing the novelty of the task she had undertaken. "'Did you ever roast a turkey?' asked Roxy, with an air of deep interest. "'Should you dare try?' said Rody in an awestricken tone. "'You will see what I can do. Ma said I was to use my judgment about things, and I'm going to. All you children have got to do is keep out of the way and let Prue and me work. If I wish you'd put a fire in the best room so the little ones could play in there, we shall want the setting room for the table, and I won't have them picking round when we get things fixed,' commanded Tilly, bound to make her short reign a brilliant one. "'I don't know about that. Ma didn't tell us to,' began cautious F., who felt that this invasion of the sacred best parlor was a daring step. "'Don't we always do it Sundays and Thanksgivings? Wouldn't Ma wish the children kept safe and warm anyhow? Can I get up a nice dinner with four rascals under my feet all the time? Come now, if you want roast turkey and onions, plum pudding and mince pie, you'll have to do as I tell you and be lively about it.' Tilly spoke with such spirit, and her last suggestion was so irresistible, that F. gave in, and laughing good-naturedly, tramped away to heat up the best room, devoutly hoping that nothing serious would happen to punish this audacity. The young folks delightedly trooped in to destroy the order of that prim apartment with housekeeping under the black horsehair sofa, horseback riders on the arms of the best rocking-chair, and an Indian war-dance all over the well-waxed furniture. F., finding the society of the peaceful sheep and cows more to his mind than that of two excited sisters, lingered over his chores in the barn as long as possible, and left the girls in peace. Now Tilly and Prue were in their glory, and as soon as the breakfast things were out of the way, they prepared for a grand cooking time. They were handy girls, though they had never heard of a cooking school, never touched the piano, and knew nothing of embroidery, beyond the samplers which hung framed in the parlor, one ornamented with a pink mourner under a blue weeping willow, the other with this pleasing verse, each word being done in a different color, which gave the effect of a distracted rainbow. This sampler neat was worked by me, in my twelfth year, Prudence B. Both rolled up their sleeves, put on their largest aprons, and got out all the spoons, dishes, pots, and pans they could find. So as to have everything handy, as Prue said. Now, sister, we'll have dinner at five. Paul will be here by that time, if he's coming tonight, and be so surprised to find us all ready, for he won't have had any very nice victuals if Grandma's so sick, said Tilly importantly. I shall give the children a piece at noon, Tilly meant luncheon. Donuts and cheese, with apple pie and cider, will please them. 
There's beans for F. He likes cold pork, so we won't stop to warm it. But there's lots to do, and I don't mind saying to you I'm dreadful dubersome about the turkey. It's all ready but the stuffing, and roasting as easy as can be. I can baste first rate. Ma always likes to have me. I'm so patient and steady, she says, answered Prue, for the responsibility of this great undertaking did not rest upon her, so she took a cheerful view of things. I know, but it's the stuffin' that troubles me, said Tilly, rubbing her round elbows as she eyed the immense fowl laid out on a platter before her. I don't know how much I want, nor what sort of yarbs to put in, and he's so awful big I'm kind of afraid of him. I ain't. I fed him all summer, and he never gobbled at me. I feel real mean to be thinking of gobbling him, poor old chap, laughed Prue, patting her departed pet with an air of mingled affection and appetite. Well, I'll get the puddin' off my mind first, for it ought to bile all day. Put the big kettle on and see the spit is clean while I get ready. Prue obediently tugged away at the crane with its black hooks, from which hung the iron tea kettle and three-legged pot. Then she settled the long spit in the grooves, made for it in the tall andirons, and put the dripping pan underneath for in those days meat was roasted as it should be, not baked in ovens. Meanwhile Tilly attacked the plum pudding. She felt pretty sure of coming out right here, for she had seen her mother do it so many times. It looked very easy. So in went suet and fruit, all sorts of spice, to be sure she got the right ones, and brandy instead of wine, for she forgot both sugar and salt, and tied it in the cloth so tightly that it had no room to swell, so it would come out as heavy as lead, and as hard as a cannonball if the bag did not burst and spoil it all. Happily unconscious of these mistakes, Tilly popped it into the pot, and proudly watched it bobbing about before she put the cover on and left it to its fate. "'I can't remember what flavoring Ma puts in,' she said when she had got her bread well soaked for the stuffing. "'Sage and onions and applesauce go with goose, but I can't feel sure of anything but pepper and salt for a turkey.' "'Ma puts in some kind of mint, I know.' but I forget whether it is spearmint, peppermint, or pennyroyal, answered Prue in a tone of doubt, but trying to show her knowledge of yarbs, or at least their names. Seems to me it's sweet marjoram or summer savory. I guess we'll put both in, and then we're sure to be right. The best is up in the garret. You run and get some while I mash the bread, commanded Tilly, diving into the mess. Away trotted Prue, but in her haste she got catnip and wormwood, for the garret was darkish, and Prue's little nose was so full of the smell of the onions she had been peeling that everything smelt of them. Eager to be of use, she pounded up the herbs and scattered the mixture with a liberal hand into the bowl. "'It doesn't smell just right, but I suppose it will when it's cooked,' said Tilly as she filled the empty stomach that seemed aching for food and sewed it up with a blue yarn which happened to be handy. She forgot to tie down his legs and wings, but she set him by till his hour came well satisfied with his work. Shall we roast the little pig, too? I think he'd look nice with a necklace of sausages, as Ma fixed one last Christmas, asked Prue, elated with their success. I couldn't do it. I loved that little pig and cried when he was killed. I should feel as if I was roasting the baby, answered Tilly, glancing towards the buttery, where Piggy hung, looking so pink and pretty. It certainly did seem cruel to eat him. It took a long time to get all the vegetables ready, for, as the cellar was full, the girls thought they would have every sort. F helped, and by noon all was ready for cooking, and the cranberry sauce, a good deal scorched, was cooling in the lean-to. Luncheon was a lively meal, and doughnuts and cheese vanished in such quantities that Tilly feared no one would have an appetite for a sumptuous dinner. The boys assured her they would be starving by five o'clock, and Sol mourned bitterly over the little pig that was not to be served up. 
Now you all go and coast while Prue and I set the table and get out the best chiny, said Tilly, bent on having her dinner look well, no matter what its other feelings might be. Out came the rough sleds. On went the round hoods, old hats, red cloaks, and moccasins, and away trudged the four younger bassets to disport themselves in the snow and try the ice down by the old mill, where the great wheel turned and splashed so merrily in the summer-time. F took his fiddle and scraped away to his heart's content in the parlor, while the girls, after a short rest, set the table and made all ready to dish up the dinner when that exciting moment came. It was not at all the sort of table we see now, but would look very plain and countrified to us with its green-handled knives and two-pronged steel forks, its red and white china and pewter plates, scoured till they shone, with mugs and spoons to match, and a brown jug for the cider. The cloth was coarse, but white as snow, and the little maids had seen the blue-eyed flax grow, out of which their mother wove the linen they had watched, and watered while it bleached in the green meadow. They had no napkins and little silver, but the best tankard and moss-view wedding spoons were set forth in state, Nuts and apples of the corners gave an air, and the place of honor was left in the middle for the oranges yet to come. "'Don't it look beautiful?' said Prue, when they paused to admire the general effect. "'Pretty nice, I think. I wish Ma could see how well we can do it,' began Tilly, when a loud howling startled both girls, and sent them flying to the window. The short afternoon had passed so quickly that twilight had come before they knew it, and now, as they looked out through the gathering dusk, they saw four small black figures tearing up the road, to come bursting in, all screaming at once. The bear, the bear! F, get the gun! He's coming, he's coming! F had dropped his fiddle, and dropped down his gun before the girls would calm the children enough to tell their story, which they did in a somewhat incoherent manner. Down in the holler, coasting, we heard a growl! began Sol, with his eyes as big as saucers. I see him first looking over the wall, roared Seth, eager to get his share of the honor. Awful, big and shaggy, quavered Roxy, clinging to Tilly, while Rody hid in Prue's skirts and piped out. His great paws kept clawing at us, and I was so scared my legs would hardly go. We ran away as fast as we could go, and he came growling after us. He's awful hungry, and he'll eat every one of us if he gets in, continued Sol, looking about him for a safe retreat. Oh, oh F, F, don't, don't let, let him eat us cried both little girls, flying upstairs to hide under their mother's bed, as a shore of shelter. "'No danger of that, you little geese. I'll shoot him as soon as he comes. Get out of the way, boys!' And F raised the window to get good aim. "'There he is! Fire away, and don't miss!' cried Seth, hastily following Sol, who had climbed to the top of the dresser as a good perch from which to view the approaching fray. Prue retired to the hearth, as if bent on dying at her post, rather than desert the turkey." Now, browning beautiful, as she expressed it, but Tilly boldly stood at the open window, ready to lend a hand if the enemy proved too much for F. All had seen bears, but none had ever come so near before, and even brave F felt that the big brown beast, slowly trotting up the dooryard, was an unusually formidable specimen. He was growling horribly, and stopped now and then, as if to rest and shake himself. Get the axe, Tilly, and if I should miss— "'Stand ready to keep him off while I load again,' said F, anxious to kill his first bear in style and alone. A girl's help didn't count. Tilly flew for the axe, and was at her brother's side by the time the bear was near enough to be dangerous. He stood on his hind legs, and seemed to sniff with relish the savory odors that poured out of the window. "'Fire, F!' cried Tilly firmly. 
"'Wait till he rears again. I'll get a better shot then,' answered the boy, while Prue covered her ears to shut out the bang, and the small boys cheered from their dusty refuge up among the pumpkins. But a very singular thing happened next, and all who saw it stood amazed. For suddenly Tilly threw down the axe, flung open the door, and ran straight into the arms of the bear, who stood erect to receive her, while his growlings changed to a loud, "'Ha! Ha!' that startled the children more than the report of a gun." "'It's Gad Hopkins, trying to fool us,' cried F., much disgusted at the loss of his prey, for these hardy boys loved to hunt, and prided themselves on the number of wild animals and birds they could shoot in a year. "'Oh, Gad, how could you scare us so?' laughed Tilly, still held fast in one shaggy arm of the bear, while the other drew a dozen oranges from some deep pocket in the buffalo-skin coat, and fired them into the kitchen with such good aim that F. ducked, Prue screamed, and Sultan Seth came down much quicker than they went up. Why, well, you see, I got up, sod over yonder, and the old horse went home while I was floundering in a drift. So I tied on the bufflers to tote em easy, and come along till I see the children playing in the holler. I just meant to give em a little scare, but they run like partridges, and I kept up the joke to see how F would like this sort of company. And Gad ha-hawed again. You'd have had a warm welcome if we hadn't found you out. I'd have put a bullet through you in a jiffy, old chap, said F, coming out to shake hands with the young giant, who was only a year or two older than himself. Come in and sit up to dinner with us. Prue and I have done it all ourselves, and Pa'll be along soon, I reckon, cried Tilly, trying to escape. Couldn't no ways. My folks will think I'm dead if I don't get along home since the horse and sleigh have gone ahead empty. I've done my errand and had my joke. Now I want my pay, Tilly. And Gad took a hearty kiss from the rosy cheeks of his little sweetheart, as he called her. His own cheeks tingled with the smart slap she gave him as she ran away, calling out that she hated bears and would bring her axe next time. I ain't afeard. Your sharp eyes found me out, and if you run into a bear's arms... You must expect a hug, answered Gad, as he pushed back the robe and settled his fur cap more becomingly. I should have known you in a minute if I hadn't been asleep when the girl squalled. You did well, though, and I advise you not to try it again in a hurry, or you'll get shot, said F. as they parted, he rather crestfallen, and Gad in high glee. My sakes alive! The turkey's burnt on one side, and the kettles have boiled over, so the pies I put to warm are all ashes. Scolded Tilly, as the flurry subsided, and she remembered her dinner. Well, I can't help it. I couldn't think of victuals when I expected to be eaten alive myself, could I? Pleaded poor Prue, who had tumbled into the cradle when the rain of oranges began. Tilly laughed, and all the rest joined in, so good humor was restored, and the spirits of the younger ones were revived by sucks from the one orange, which passed from hand to hand with great rapidity, while the older girls dished up the dinner. They were just struggling to get the pudding out of the cloth, when Roxy called out, "'Here's Pa!' "'There's folks with him,' added Rody. "'Lots of em. I see two big sleighs chock full,' shouted Seth, peering through the dusk. "'It looks like a cemetery.' Guess Grandma's dead and come up here to be buried, said Saul in a solemn tone. This startling suggestion made Tilly, Prue, and F hasten to look out, full of dismay at such an ending of their festival. If that is a funeral, the mourners are uncommon jolly, said F dryly, 
his merry voices and loud laughter broke the white silence without. I see Aunt Cynthia and Cousin Hetty, and there's Mose and Amos. I do declare, Pa's bringing em all home to have some fun here, cried Prue, as she recognized one familiar face after another. Oh, my patience! Ain't I glad I got dinner, and don't I hope it will turn out good? exclaimed Tilly, while the twins pranced with delight and the small boys roared. Hooray for Pa! Hooray for Thanksgiving! The cheer was answered heartily, and in came father, mother, baby, aunts, and cousins, all in great spirits, and all much surprised to find such a festive welcome awaiting them. "'Ain't Grandma dead at all?' asked Saul, in the midst of the kissing and handshaking. "'Bless your heart, no! It was all a mistake of old Mr. Chadwick's. He's as deaf as an adder. And when Mrs. Brooks told him mother was mendin' fast and she wanted me to come down to-day, certain sure he got the message all wrong, and give it to the fust person passin' in such a way as to scare me most to death, and send us down in a hurry. Mother was sittin' up as chirk as you please, and dreadful sorry you didn't all come. So to keep the house quiet for her, and give you a taste of the fun, your pa fetched us all up to spend the evening, and we're going to have a jolly time on it, to judge by the looks of things, said Aunt Cynthia briskly finishing the tale when mrs bassett paused for want of breath what in the world put it into your head we was comin and set you to gettin up such a supper asked mr bassett looking about him well pleased and much surprised at the plentiful table tilly modestly began to tell but the others broke in and sang her praises in a sort of chorus in which bears pigs pies and oranges were oddly mixed great satisfaction was expressed by all and Tilly and Prue were so elated by the commendation of Ma and the aunts that they set forth their dinner, sure everything was perfect. But when the eating began, which it did the moment wraps were off, then their pride got a fall, for the first person who tasted the stuffing. It was big cousin Mose, and that made it harder to bear. Nearly choked over the bitter morsel. Tilly Bassett, whatever made you put wormwood and catnip in your stuffin'? demanded Ma, trying not to be severe, for all the rest were laughing, and Tilly looked ready to cry. "'I did it,' said Prue, nobly taking all the blame, which caused Pa to kiss her on the spot, and declared that it didn't do a mite of harm, for the turkey was all right. "'I never see onions cooked better. All the vegetables is well done, and the dinner a credit to you, my dears,' declared Aunt Cynthia, with her mouth full of the fragrant vegetable she praised." The pudding was an utter failure, in spite of the blazing brandy in which it lay, as hard and heavy as one of the stone balls on Squire Duncan's great gate. It was speedily whisked out of sight, and all fell upon the pies, which were perfect. But Tilly and Prue were much depressed, and didn't recover their spirits till the dinner was over, and the evening fun well under way. Blind Man's Buff, Hunt the Slipper, Come Philander, and other lively games soon set everyone bubbling over with jollity and when F. struck up Money Musk on his fiddle, old and young fell into their places for a dance. All down the long kitchen they stood, Mr. and Mrs. Bassett at the top, the twins at the bottom, and then away they went, heeling and towing, cutting pigeon wings, and taking their steps in a way that could convulse modern children with their newfangled romps called dancing. Mose and Tilly covered themselves with glory by the vigor with which they kept it up, till fat Aunt Cynthia fell into a chair, breathlessly declaring that a very little of such exercise was enough for a woman of her heft. Apples and cider, chat and singing, finished the evening, and after a grand kissing all round, the guests drove away in the clear moonlight, which came just in time to cheer their long drive. 
when the jingle of the last bell had died away mr bassett said soberly as they stood together on the hearth children we have special cause to be thankful that the sorrow we expected was changed into joy so we'll read a chapter before we go to bed and give thanks where thanks is due then tilly set out the light stand with a big bible on it and a candle on each side and all sat quietly in the firelight smiling as they listened with happy hearts to the sweet old words that fit all times and seasons so beautifully when the good nights were over and the children in bed prue put her arm around tilly and whispered tenderly for she felt her shake and was sure she was crying don't mind about the old stuffin and puddin dearie nobody cared and ma said we really did do surprise and well for such young girls the laughter tilly was trying to smother broke out then and was so infectious prue could not help joining her even before she knew the cause of the merriment i was mad about the mistakes but i don't care enough to cry i'm laughing to think how gad fooled f and i found him out i thought mose and amos would have died over it when i told him it was so funny explained tilly when she got her breath i was so scared that when the first orange hit me i thought it was a bullet and scrabbled into the cradle as fast as i could it was real mean to frighten the little ones so laughed prue as tilly gave a growl here a smart rap on the wall of the next room caused a sudden lull in the fun and mrs bassett's voice was heard saying warmly girls go to sleep immediate or you'll wake the baby yes'm answered two meek voices and after a few irrepressible giggles silence reigned broken only by an occasional snore from the boys or the soft scurry of mice in the buttery taking their part in this old-fashioned thanksgiving end of part two end of an old-fashioned thanksgiving by louisa may alcott